Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. Well, it's not Train to Busan. Yeah. Nowhere near as fun as that. Uh, hello, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Zompocalypse Now. I am Dustin, and with me, as always, is the lovely and talented uh, Timothy Harvey. Hello. And uh, the beautiful and illustrious Curtis Smith. Hello to you. Uh, and because we are on hi- we are in the hiatus season for uh, all of our fave shows from uh, the Walking Dead universe. And, is, fave, uh, is fave the word you really want to use? We're using it. I just did. Okay. Uh, and we didn't pick any, any, any series to watch over this break. We might actually still pick a series to watch, maybe, but we haven't. We've been doing movies. And tonight we watched the sequel to my favorite horror movie ever, Trained Busan, uh, Peninsula. And uh, now we're going to talk about it, because I am sure we all have thoughts. Four years later, after the, years. Events, uh, after the events of uh, Trained Busan, an entirely different, unrelated set of events happen. Yes. And um, it's all zombie-oriented. Right. And uh, a whole lot of people, there's just, there's, eh. Um, It's nice that somebody actually got a little more use out of the screenplay to the Road Warrior. mm. Because. (laughs) I I don't, I I get that. I get, I get that uh, because there's a lot of driving in this movie. But um, I also, uh, I don't necessarily think, because. The Road Warrior was all about like the gas. Well, yeah, but I mean the 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 last 20 30 minutes of this film and is the a last, car chase. Yeah. Yeah, and it's essentially I mean in many ways it's it's the same kind of thing that you got out of The Road Warrior or the most recent Mad Max film where it's a very fun Furiosa. and entertaining. Yeah, it's 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 an entertaining <laughs> car chase. Although here Unlike both of those films, uh, there's a significant use of CGI because significant as in half this movie is a cartoon. Yes, with cartoon. It's, it's like the greatest, the greatest uh, cutscenes from Grand Theft Auto Three from uh, 2007. It's, now with more zombies. Now with more zombies. I don't know, man. I wasn't into it. I really wasn't because number one, it's a zombie film, and I just you are you're not. Yeah, don't give a shit. I wanted to be like, oh, because if if I watch a movie that's not made in Hollywood, I never know what to expect because the storytelling is a lot different and the shots are weirder. And for instance, I watched a I watched a French horror movie about a perverted Santa last week, and I thought that was the I thought that was the business. And I don't like Santa either, but I lo- I like the charm and the and the. I don't know. Train to Busan was much more charming and right. original than this. It was still a zombie film, but uh, this was just a zombie film. Right. When I heard about the sequel, I was very excited. And then when I heard that it was going to be about a totally different set of characters in the same world, uh, I was really interested because... You know, while I would have loved to see what happened to the pregnant lady and the little girl, um, their story was essentially over. And I was very interested to see what this same director, and I believe the same writer, but I'm not 100% positive, could do with this world that they had created so well. Or, you know, like, what story, what other relationships could they tell in this world? Because... That was one of the best things about Trade Busan is the the relationships that were built, even with through minor characters. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard it was going to be more of a heist movie, I was like, I don't know if that's that's what I want to do, you guys. 
And while I did, I do kind of, I do enjoy this movie. I've seen it twice and I've enjoyed it both times. I do agree with you. It, it doesn't have the same feeling as Train to Busan had. In the first 15 <laughs> minutes, we thought we were supposed to care about this, this one family. Spoiler alert, they all die. So now I'm like, who am I supposed to care about? They killed the cute kid. Right. Well, the, story, they... the story in Train to Busan is for all the zombies and it, it's and ultimately ends up being a very intimate story. There are very few, really very few characters to care about and they focus on them. And so you end up having these relationships that start to feel natural in a way that this film is an action movie. Mm-hmm. And well, there's just not that kind of depth to it. All right. Let's get into it. The movie starts with a uh, cutting between a family, a soldier's sister and her husband and their son uh, trying to escape from uh, Korea and an American news broadcast set four years after the events of Train to Busan and our flashback, kind of recapping what happened, that, that Busan didn't actually end up to be safe, but many people were evacuated from there. And we assume that this family is traveling towards Busan. They are stopped on the side of the road by another family, uh, a, a husband his and wife and their one daughter who's maybe three. And so they beg them to take them with them. And, and the soldier makes the decision not to, and they leave them behind and, uh, and they get to the boat and they get on the boat and no one checks them for bites because that's important as they are going away. There's an infected person on the boat and like, so obviously infected that it's really interesting that the only person who sees it is the, the kid from our family. And yeah, of he's, course, like walk, he's like walking down the stairs like possessed Reagan. All right. He's shit. doing like, you know, back bends and foams coming out of his mouth. And li- people are literally sitting 30 inches away from him. Like, just like looking at a blanket. The way the that was like the first instance of the really wonderful, like acrobatics that some of these some of these zombie characters were doing. Oh, yeah. There was some that was some really cool stuff. I mean, there's there's a few things to complain about, but the majority of this movie was very cool. Yeah, I just wasn't into it. Right, right. And I feel I I, I feel the same way. So we cut, you know. So everybody dies. Uh, the mother dies. The kid dies. The soldier and the uh, the father survive, and they become refugees in Hong Kong, uh, where they've become some sort of also criminal because. Sure, why not? Cartoon character criminals. <laughs> yeah. Apparently what's happened is that the uh, refugees from Korea have become, I don't know, the underclass. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone, everyone looks down on them. And of course, they're all afraid that apparently they're going to spontaneously turn into zombies, apparently. Right. Oh, we have to stop and I have to go back for a second because... I, I thought this during the first time I watched this movie, and then when I watched it again, I was I was like, "What again?" And then uh, I, I want to talk about it. So during the the news broadcast portion, where it's the Americans kind of recapping, uh, they say, "Well, there's one place that's safe on the peninsula, and that's North Korea. Isn't it great that North Korea is so great and they're so wonderful?" And I was like. That's a really weird thing to just like pop into some random dialogue. We didn't need to hear about North Korea. Wait, I thought they said Korea, North Korea fell in two days. No, South Korea fell in two days. North Korea was completely prepared for a zombie apocalypse, apparently. And they, said, uh, they were like, it's lucky they didn't reunify. Yeah, that's what. Because they did so great, and uh, I appreciate I, stuff like that. That's that's just that's flavor. Yeah, I just I just wonder why they decided that they needed to have that. Anyway, so you know that's it. Uh, so they're called to our guy, soldier boy, and and dad, father, brother in law, whatever. Um, our our number sixty one. We could just mm-hmm. call it number sixty one. Uh, 
get called to their cartoonishly Italian boss's office where they're given a task. The uh, There's some money in South Korea by the Ichiban station. And I they said... I guess in in Hong Kong, if you're in in some kind of position of a, of power, it's probably criminal, and you're probably going to walk around with a very fucking smug look on your face. All and a Hawaiian shirt, as in like, why? Why a Hawaiian shirt? Like what? So you can know who the bad guys are. Yeah, they're they're the ones who are walking around dressed ridiculously, and they did. They were just uniform. being cartoonishly evil. Mugging for the camera. It was just some bad, bad acting going on. And I'm so glad that they had the former porn star newscaster. I don't know. I didn't. I, you, you'd know more than me. No, it just, it just, his acting was like porn star quality. Uh, yeah. He was like a guest on a talk show or something like that. And he was kind of describing <laughs> everything that happened. It was a right. neat device, but. You don't got to cast unknown white former porn star a holes in your movie. You don't know. You don't please. listen, former porn star. You did a great job. I <laughs> believed it all. He's like, this is my chance to go legit. You know, I've like I said, I've seen this movie twice, and I, I, I cannot even picture the actor you're talking about i might have you to remember this it was the one i know i know but like i've you know you know my radar for for the attractive men's and i just i have no like there's no i cannot draw up a mental picture of what because he was like. straight out of central casting for yeah. bland semi-attractive male human right and anyway. he had this he had this weird kind of I just stopped taking drugs to do this movie kind of kind of sound to his voice because it was very like, and there's a bunch of zombies, you know. <laughs> I couldn't, I can't put my finger on it, but it. he was acting his balls off and that was the problem. Anyway, I'm sorry to, I digress. <laughs> sorry, man. What were you saying? <laughs> I honestly cannot remember. Comedy mobsters. Oh, right. So apparently they sent some people to get some money, $20 million, uh, from the island already once. And it didn't work. Uh, and so they want to send another group of men, uh, guys, like a little team, into again to get the money. And they want Soldier Boy and Number 61 to be on that team. Put together an elite squad. Uh, right. Desperate, broke-ass people. Right. So they go, <laughs> and they're going to... The, the, the thing is, there's 20 million bucks, and they can get uh, half if they bring it back. And I don't think I need to tell you that there's no, like, no way in hell, just by the minute he says half, you're like, there's no way they're giving these four like degenerates half this money. Why, Dustin? Don't you believe the comically evil mob boss? You know what my counter offer would be? I'll take five thousand and just let me live. <laughs> Give me enough to bribe an official so I can go to America. <laughs> or you know what? Just don't give me anything. Just leave me alone forever. You weird stock characters out of several Sylvester Stallone movies. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it it should not come as a surprise that there are certain stereotypes that international audiences have for Americans. Yeah, but these were Americans playing Americans and they were just being bad at it. Right. <laughs> so Soldier Boy... I like this movie more and more. Yeah. So Soldier Boy and, and number 61 and a lady who used to drive a cab <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and a guy who carries the other sat phone. What was go, his qualification? Nothing. Just a guy. He was just an extra guy to die so that they could kill some people. When I watched uh, Pitch Black for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, the Vin Diesel movie, mm-hmm. uh, me and me and my my roommate were like, this is a really good movie, but like it seems like they had 
a bunch of the Muslim pilgrims survive just so they could kill them off. And I said, yeah, they seemed really expendable. And uh, my roommate goes, expendable Muslims, and like just kind of shakes his head really sad. And so from then on, like that, I don't remember when that movie came out. Every time I see a character like that, I think, expendable Muslim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, just a character that's written in just to die. Like that's all he's there for. At mm-hmm. least the cab lady yeah. got to drive yeah. the car. Well, he was there to, he was there to, screw up for every, yeah. so everyone has to suffer and then he has to die yeah but um, i thought maybe like he was a strong swimmer or something like that you know to yes, round that out was the actually team. that was actually his his purpose on the team was was to be the strong swimmer strong swimmer <laughs> just in case just in case right exactly i mean it makes perfect sense i believe that you have hit upon the truth of it curtis yeah figuring this thing out mm-hmm. yeah so the getting there and finding the uh, the truck with the money in it is not a big problem. They find it pretty fast. Um, but here is where they make the big mistake. And this is a mistake that this the people in this movie continue to make for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Instead of just grabbing the two duffel bags. Well, there were 20. No, $20 million in two duffel bags. No, there were a lot more than two duffel bags, but here's the thing. There were not so many duffel bags that you couldn't take them all and put them in the car. They were already in. They would have fit in the trunk, kids. Yeah. (laughs) Put them on your lap. (laughs) They decide to take, they have to take the entire, like, huge truck. This was the plan from the beginning. Right, but... But everybody makes so much, like everybody makes such a big deal for the rest of the movie about we got to get the truck. And it's like, the truck's not the important thing, kids. The duffel bags with the money are the important things. So many of the decisions that happen or the things that happen in this movie is because they're fixated on the truck instead of just being like, I'll just take these duffel bags and money into my office and we'll figure out what we're going to do with them later. Or, you know... (laughs) it turns out that while they're getting the truck and everything ready, they are being spied upon by a 13 or 14 year old girl uh, who is uh, cruising around town in her SUV uh, with her seven or eight year old sister. And they're just watching these idiots. They're like, these dummies, what are they trying to do? Like, why don't they just get the duffel bags? And, uh, and about that time, a bunch of soldiers show up and there's a big chase because they want the truck now. And so then everybody dies again, like cab lady and, and expendable Muslim uh, and only number 61 and soldier boy are left, but they're on really, different. Okay. Well, I re- I just, I really liked at the beginning of the movie, the pacing at which our supposed main characters were getting killed off. Yeah, I hadn't liked any of them really yet. Well, I mean, isn't that isn't that kind of a hallmark of heist movies? Like we 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 or or any kind of espionage. Like we created a team, we made a crack pot, a crack team. Oh no, our whole crack team died in the first five minutes. <laughs> Got to make a new team. I I liked that they. Well, maybe it was just I was like, yay! I'm just saying. Unfortunately, this whole section here begins really displaying a problem that will run throughout the entire film, which is it's established that the zombies react to sound and light. This will only actually be accurate when the plot requires it because everybody makes so much noise in this movie and yet zombies only show up when their cue in the script appears and the director says okay zombies attack we need need the zombies now (laughs) Betty let out the zombies don't give them crap services (laughs) (laughs) so so folks you may have actually been in a car in your life you may have actually been near a car you have probably heard 
a car because cars make noise and speeding cars that are crashing into things or slamming on their brakes and spinning around because it's Tokyo drift time. (laughs) Well, I mean, that dude had his foot to the floor on that big SUV and, you know, and it's going to be loud, but clearly not loud enough to draw the hordes of the undead in a city which is mostly deserted and very, very quiet because, you know, no people. Um, yeah, so this will this will be a recurring theme throughout the film as well, lots and lots of noise is made and very few zombies show up until we need the zombies to be here to threaten our heroes. Well, the primary, the primary mode of transportation in uh, um, places like like Vietnam and South Korea and these some for some reason these kind of islandy or peninsula kind of countries in Southeast Asia go for the moped more than anything. There's mm-hmm. millions of them. Didn't see a moped. And those things go dead and dead 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 dead. That's too loud for zombies. Yeah. I feel like everybody found a nice electric car to drive. <laughs> that would have been difficult well, to recharge. It's it makes more sense than four years on gasoline working. Because we talked about this many times, and Fear the Walking Dead has even addressed it. Gasoline does not last that long, maybe six to eight months. So uh, eventually um uh Soldier Boy is taken home by the girls. Uh, where he meets their crazy grandpa, who's probably not really their grandpa, uh, the Sarge, and their mother, who Soldier Boy recognizes immediately as the mother that they abandoned on the road when when she was carrying her three- or four-year-old child's daughter. Uh, He left her behind. Uh... And that's very interesting, and it could have been really cool, but then I spent the rest of the movie doing math in my head and wondering where the other child came from. (laughs) She was in the car. She never got out of the car. She was was outing and hiding in the car. Runs up to the car and says, please, if you don't want to take us, at least take my daughter. Not... Both of my children, one of which is in the car. She was staying with friends. She was at summer knocked camp. Up. She was on a school up. trip to the U.S. She was knocked up at the time, Dustin. There's your math. No. <laughs> she could have then you'd have, a, then you'd have a four-year-old child. Right. <laughs> Look, the, that opening scene, though, that's four years before. Right, which, which gets you the littlest girl. Yes, which means that the daughter the that she's holding is saying and I'm saying, "Please take my daughter." Is the little girl who's like seven or eight at this at the time of our recording? Um, but the older girl, who's maybe thirteen, fourteen, where did she come from? Where is she? That old though? She's looking eight or nine to me. The there's an eight or nine year old girl. Yes. Yeah, and then her little sister is is like six. No, you're you, lying to yourself, Curtis. <clears throat> yeah, no. I see. I wouldn't even say that the, the older girl is. I wouldn't even say she's as young as thirteen, fourteen. I'd say she's sixteen or seventeen. The fact is, we have a teenage girl who appears miraculously is not mentioned in the big climactic scene, which triggers all of the trauma and and heartbreak and. She's just there. Yeah, okay. I'm willing to let it go because I don't care. But, uh, the, the, but this is the kind of thing that I care about, Curtis. Well, I can see that. I'm starting to get sucked down Dustin land. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So so uh, the movie Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays a brilliant car thief. And he goes to prison for a little while. And when he comes out, they want him to do some brilliant car thiefing again. And so he has to build a team because you have to build a team in these movies. Yep. And the first person he goes to is his ex-girlfriend, Angelina Jolie. At the time of the making of Gone in 60 Seconds, Nicolas Cage was well into his 
late 40s. He was like 46 something years old. And Angelina Jolie was like 25. And so he was in prison for like seven years in the in the movie. And so for the rest of the movie, I sat there and tried to figure out how old everybody was supposed to be so that Nicolas Cage's character wasn't a pedophile. <laughs> this is something that I do. You got me doing that math now. I'm like, okay, seven years. She was... Well, don't, yeah. forget, don't forget to carry the two. It, it messes everything up if you don't yeah. carry the two. She was in her mid-20s <laughs> and he was well like... Yeah, like she, She'd been 17, 18 years old when they broke up. Right, or when he went Seven, to prison. 17 years old. No, 18. Yeah, when 18. he went to prison. Yeah, when he went to prison. So they maybe had a few years of a relationship there. I don't like to judge. I love way. to judge. I, I feel like, good job, old dude. You've heard this show, Curtis. You know that judging is what we do. I know we judge. I, know that's we judge. The, that's I feel like that would be in my worst interest to judge a, a guy pushing 50, you know, you're thinking of, I, I honestly, I don't see any problem with a 40 plus gentleman or lady getting with a 20 ish year old person. I have no problem it's, with it's that. It's usually the they're both consenting adults, but that's not what we're talking about. In the case of gone in 60 seconds, we're talking about, this is him going back to his ex-girlfriend who he hasn't seen in a very specific number of years. And the fact that to de-age her means that when they were together, she was like 13 years old. I think you're taking the wrong lesson from Gone in 60 Seconds. But that's, (laughs) that's the only, literally, literally the only thing I remember about that movie. Well, I mean... (laughs) He is kind of the anti-hero bad guy of the film, you know. He's what okay. he's doing is wrong. So that's not the movie we're talking about. <laughs> all of this out. We talked about a movie we'd rather be talking about. All of this is coming out. <laughs> so, um, Soldier Boy. Me, all right. Meanwhile, while Soldier Boy is meeting this adorable family, Number Sixty One is just having a day, <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> They take the whole truck to the place, and when they open it up, thinking there's going to be food in there, it's just him and a bunch of bags, and nobody looks in the bags. Nobody uh, even looks to see if there's something in the truck. They're yeah. Like, just they like, just, hey, take that guy, and let's go over there. Yeah. So they take him, and they strip him, strip his shirt off, and they give him the number 61, and spray painted on his chest and back, and then they send him into an arena where he has to survive against what looks like a jello zombie, like several zombies congealed together, and a couple of like running around zombies for a certain amount of time. Like, no rule, don't tell him the rules, don't tell him nothing, just zombie throw him turtle. on in there. Zombie turtle was weird, yeah, well, it kind of brought me right back into it for a second. There was a type of zombie I've never seen. A sculpture of zombie. And so this entire world, of course, is exactly what you expect your post-apocalyptic zombie world to be. This is every cliched, oh, they were an ex-military. They used to be part of the military, but then they've all gone bad. And so it's that whole, at the end of the world, the military turns into psychopathic morons, and they set up their little encampments, and it's basically, you know, it's, we're, we're still in Mad Max territory. We're now in Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a paint-by-number setup. And that's one of the things that's disappointing about this film is that once you actually get into this city, it's exactly every other zombie apocalypse world. Right. There's nothing that you haven't seen before. And even the, the mm-hmm. children, like both of the little girls are completely, like, they've grown up in this world. They see no problem with it. Like, the older girl is, like, this amazing driver and is just, like, so nonplussed by zombies uh, that even when their car is completely, about to be completely surrounded, all she does is, like, look at her little sister, and the little sister's like, oh, you want me to do something about all these zombies? And, like, she pulls out a a little uh, radio-controlled car with lights and sounds all over it, like draws the zombies away. They're just like, yeah, 
Uh, we just had to go to the store for a minute. <laughs> I, was, I was meeting a friend. And it is fun with the teenage girls driving scenes. It would be more fun if they weren't all clearly fake. Yeah. But they're fun anyway. So uh, number 61 is not having a great day. But uh, the guy who's in charge of the base uh, and the guy who's in charge of the rations, the guy who's in charge of the rations discovers the money finally. And so he goes to the guy who's in charge of the base and he's like, hey. Yeah. He goes to see uh, Colonel or whatever his name is. They discuss the money. And he says, where is it? He goes, it's on the, it's on the truck still. <laughs> Why wouldn't you move it to someplace like a couple of lot? You're by yourself. Just well, well, the private is like, why would they, anyone care about all this useless money? Because so he's not thinking of it as being, you know, we can use this to get away. Because uh, this is uh, Private Kim. And he is apparently not the brightest of people. And I'm gonna uh, tell I'm I'm gonna give you my theory about why the money never leaves the truck. Tell me, Curtis. The props department glued all the bags together for continuity. <laughs> Maybe and they and they didn't get enough bags to do a shot where they're throwing bags out. So the props department glues all these things together. They always open the same two bags when they check to see if there's any money because that's all the that's all the prop money they made. They filled the rest of it with phone books. Well, you know, they had to they had to spend a lot of money to get those great 2007 computer graphics and and also, you know, to build the sound stages where almost all of the action takes place. It only had a $16 million budget guys for, for $16 million these days, the film looks pretty good for 16 mil. Yeah, no, I, we're just making fun of it because we're jerks. Well, what's the exchange rate? That's 16 million American. So that's not. Okay. But over there, that's like $170 billion. No, North, no. <laughs> no, South Korea. No, their, their exchange rate. I think, I think they're, their dollar is worth more than our dollar. Probably so. It's pretty much everywhere. Anyway, props department fucked it up. That's my theory because I think the director was like, damn it. Why can't we get a shot of them moving? The I got to rewrite this whole series of events. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> the can fly. leave the truck. They're just trying to think of shots they can do. And then by the time they're, and then they just end the movie and edit it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my theory. I'm that's, free. That's how all movies are made, isn't it? <laughs> how many steps to making a movie? The writing Four. phase, the shooting phase, the editing phase, and those are all different movies. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You get three. You get three shots at telling your story. <laughs> Better hope the third way is pretty good. <laughs> you, that's the only. That's the only one. That's the one that matters in the end because you can. You can only. Well, anyway. So yeah, yeah uh, sixteen million dollars is brilliant for this film because they made it look pretty epic. It was on a scale that was really great, even if they had to use some like stock footage here and there. Mm-hmm. I don't think they did though. You spent a lot of a lot of that money went to CGI stuff because they had a lot of um, matte paintings and stuff and the big green screen situations. Yeah. So anyway, the the county clerk or whatever. Did, <laughs> Just leaves the money on the on the truck, but he does bring the boss the uh, the sat phone, mm-hmm. and that's when the boss gets you know pulled into the heist. He's like the guy on the other end is just like, look, just bring me the money. I don't care who brings me the money. Somebody got to bring me the money. And so now the boss is, wants to bring the money and well, get him. And well, the president of Barter Town is. Uh, Okay, the sergeant or whatever, general of his army, can't stand him. Mm. Yeah. And but the mayor of Barter Town is is just this kind of wishy-washy little wiener. Yeah. Who just can't wait to commit suicide. Yeah, he does not like being on the peninsula. He got into I don't know how he got into this position of power, but he is not happy about it. That was the most unbelievable part of the film for me was like this guy's not going to be in this position. Well, you know, 
I guess the implication, of course, being that these were the folks who were supposed to come in to help the, the, the military unit that was supposed to come in and help the civilians. So he could have been, if he actually was a captain in the military, he you know, may have been a peacetime military thing where, you know, he just, this, this, this was the unit that was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he was the wrong captain. It's happened before. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. This is one of the very few films most a lot of zombie films have a tendency to sit there and go oh but it's the real humanity was the real monsters Mm -hmm. and these guys are actually fairly ineffective villains yeah they're just i mean they they get people killed and they're terrible but they're not like these aren't particularly crafty people or particularly smart people They just happen to have guns and they and and be willing to chase people. I mean, you know, which is, I guess, realistic to some degree. But they're, yeah, they're they're just. This is not the governor. This is not Negan. No. This is not you know your Walking Dead villains. This is a bunch of kind of awful people being awful who just happen to be the bad guys. They're awful, <laughs> and they have the truck with the money and and. The right. sat phones and so they're, they're the antagonists because they're in the way of our hero's journey right such as it is such as it is so meanwhile back over at uh with soldier boy he convinces mom that she needs to help him get this money and then they could all get out of there i think this is right at the start of hour 17 of this yes movie. this is a long movie you guys it is 116 minutes, of which probably 20, 25 minutes is the car chase scene at the end. Yeah. Everything up until, and that's the, the primary action of the film. Yeah. And this movie, I mean, this movie has more endings than AI had. <laughs> like, you know, there are several times where this movie, you're just like, oh, okay, this is when we're, we're done, right? We're done. No, <laughs> I think Are it's only sure? one ending shy of of the last uh, Lord of the Rings movie. So mm-hmm. you just need one Gosh. more Hobbit goodbye, and it'd be, it'd be <laughs> right on par. Don't you talk shit on Lord of the Rings? Return man. of the King. I would so, have loved it at the end of that movie if Frodo would have just said, "Oh shoot, I forgot something. We <laughs> got to jump back to the Shire real quick, have another whole adventure, and then come back and do the thing." Oh no, he'd say, "Fuck it, we're taking the Eagles this time." Um, <laughs> so here's the one all right i will say there's some nice emotional bits with the family the mother and her daughters there's some good chemistry between the actors and the characters and it actually works pretty well you get the sense that this is a family we get our really you know the big dramatic we've met before i didn't i didn't save you when i could and for the flaws of this film, this is actually a scene I really enjoyed. Me too. She, she looks at him and goes, and you're telling me this now, why? And he's like, uh, she goes, you know, you, there were 31 cars mm. that didn't stop. <laughs> and she's basically looking at him and going, I don't care about your guilt. It doesn't make you special. I've got two children and this man who may or may not be related to me. We don't really know what the actual relationship is. She calls him commander. She never calls him dad. The kid's calling grandpa. Well, I mean, but there's a lot of honorific family stuff that goes on in uh, Asian countries. I'm sure they were just calling that, calling him that because he was pretty craggy. Yeah. Well, and, and family units become family units. Sometimes it's the family you choose. That's the one thing that, that, could explain the teenage girl maybe she wasn't actually their biological daughter but because of the world they're in she became family but this scene actually works this scene where she's like look i don't care about you you're not important my kids are important the old man he's important you're just here and you your thing your sat phone your money all this stuff is a means for me to get my family into a safer space. And I was like, okay, I'm completely on board with her plan. 
We're getting out of here. You may come with us if you want, because it's convenient. And the look on his face when he's basically like, you know, because this is the part in the movie where you said you did the terrible thing and the other person forgives you. We've all seen the films. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. And she's like, nah, don't care. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Um, So the heist happens and we, this is probably where we need to start getting really vague because this is, you know, this is the end of the movie and it's really a newish movie. So like, we don't want to get too spoilery. Well, like we said, this is the there, there's a certain amount of Mad Max and Road Warrior that happens. Yes. This is the part that it happens in. And a lot of it is very fun. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of it completely defies the laws of physics. Tires do not take that kind of punishment. The hell you say, Tim. Son, you ain't been in one of my cars. Woo! I used to drive for a living. Let me tell you what type of cars can and cannot take. But yeah, it's there is just a certain amount of brain checking you have to do on most zombie films as it is. Right? Trained was to Basan, one of the things that made that film really, really good was the emotional core and the fact that within its own world played pretty straight when it came to things like physics and how Mm. doors behave or you know how much a a person how much punishment a person can take before they're you know okay that person's clearly dead why aren't they dead you know our our soldier gets thrown 50 or 60 feet through a through in a crash in a car crash and he gets up the, no, yeah, he's thrown through a windshield mm-hmm. out of a car that is going like 50 or 60 miles an hour mm-hmm. that rams another completely stopped like like blockade, no centrifugal force, and he is launched through the windshield and he flies 50 or 60 feet and then hits the pavement and rolls... And what happens, Tim? Uh, he gets up. I think he limps a little bit. He gets a band-aid later, I think. Yeah. And, he's uh, got fine. He's got some cuts on his face. He also has uh, a broken neck, several uh, crushed rib cage, and uh, none of his limbs are working ever again. But that would make for a much shorter film. Right. Fine in a wheelchair in the wreckage and... <laughs> Spending two years like a like a rocky <laughs> montage. Getting rehab. Gonna be the champion. Gonna make well, it Unfortunately, he would then get in the car with the teenage girl, and her driving would kill him too. Because yeah. there's some fun driving moments in this, and some ludicrous driving moments, and some some things that like you know, are we we're gonna accept this because this is a you know an, an action zombie movie but we would not accept this anywhere else kind of things that happen it literally was we've made this really beautiful cool zombie film and we don't know what else to do with this but we really liked the last mad max movie what if we just combine the two it doesn't it doesn't have the weight of train to basan and it's a fairly standard action movie i have a feeling that there are that there there could be stories told in this universe that would be interesting and that would be more in touch with with what uh what we saw in the original movie but i think that the director was just kind of like let's just fuck it let's just do it let's go crazy (laughs) no well and they may have not had any they may have felt that they told the story they wanted to tell. Here's the emotional core story, and we did that one. That's cool. Okay, now let's make another zombie film that's... We wanted to make an action movie. Okay, let's make an action movie, you know. And the next one will be a romantic comedy. I, you know what? You know what? I'm here for it. If they say there's going to be a Train to Busan Presents 3, and it's like 
a couple falling in love in in South Korea in the middle of the zombie apocalypse, I would be here for it, and it would retroactively make this movie better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the next film on uh, the director's uh, schedule is apparently a film called The Cursed, and it is not connected to the train to Busan world. His Good. name is Young Sang Ho, and he was the director on both films, and he was the co-writer on the second film. The writer of the first film was the other co-writer. So it's the same people. It's not like yeah. someone came along and said, well... We have the rights, and the original director and writer have nothing to do with it. It's it's not it's not a Hollywood sequel. It, did, it seems like they didn't exploit some of the wonderful elements of the first film in this film, like I kind of expected they would. Well, they had an adorable Moppet. Uh, she had very little to do with the action, um, and they did you know they they upped the child the cute child factor by one, but they she, it didn't have the emotional resonance when she was when they were in trouble. When those two girls, they didn't even, they didn't even think they were in trouble. Like, I immediately knew that neither of these these girls were going to, nothing bad was going to happen to them. And it almost looked like the characters knew nothing bad was going to happen to them. Because the older girl was never more than just like, yeah. Couldn't be bothered. <laughs> she she was She even said at one point, like, there was nothing wrong. I liked my world. I like my world because I have my family, you know, why do we need to leave? Why can't I just, you know, we're all together. That's fine with me. Dustin's right. We shouldn't be too spoilery here. So I, I think that we can, I could recommend this film in the sense that it's entertaining. Yeah. But if you're expecting Train to Busan or the animated prequel to Train to Busan, Soul Station, which is or really, even even any way, in any way a spiritual or emotional successor to either of those things. Right. Because this is it's this is not the same tone, certainly. It's got it's got more car chases in it. Or much more blockbuster, much less intimate. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's no question that it's it's less intimate. And I think that that is one of the major strengths of Train to Busan is that there's an emotional story there between a father and a child and reassessing who you are and the in a with a backdrop of really incredibly huge hordes of the undead. And it's that's the other thing. For all the zombie action we get in this film, the sense of uniqueness to the way the zombies moved in Train to Busan. You know, when you saw them just sort of pouring like a wave or standing completely still when they couldn't see someone, that alienness to them, that that sense of this is that sort of the nightmare fuel that our our characters were going through was really, really effective. Here it's just, oh, we're being attacked by zombies. You know, they moved nice. cool, like you said, Curtis. There was there was some cool, you know, physical performance with with some of them, but they didn't have that same kind of overwhelming alienness, yeah, monstrosity that we got really in Train to Busan. It felt more like Twenty Eight Days Later. That sequel, remember that mm-hmm. one? Mm-hmm. Kind of the same. It's called Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Yeah, Twenty Eight Weeks Later. It, it, in some ways, it has some of the same issues that this film does, which is they they went broader and they kind of lost that sense of intimacy. I mean, in many ways, for, for all the action and, and in 28 Days Later, there's really only like four characters who you care about in the entire film and they stay focused on those four characters and, and they take time to build character development it's you can't get that much character development when 20 minutes of your film is a car chase here's how i would describe the end of the film without uh, without spoilers at some point on set of that movie everyone looked up at the whiteboard or whatever they use to communicate broadly and uh, or they got a text or something that said Ultra melodramatic hero scene shooting tomorrow. 
and everybody showed up ready and then they filmed that scene and that was probably the last scene they shot with a very very cuddly character the end yeah it's time to go to bed (laughs) (laughs) all right um you know i don't i don't know what else we can say without being super spoilery but so well let's let's just say this train busan is uh, is totally and completely acceptable it is uh, a fun movie if you're looking for a fun movie but don't look for train to busan in peninsula and we will be back next week with something else if you have enjoyed us being relatively vague about discussing Peninsula tonight uh, or any of our other episodes, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to our episodes on Apple Podcasts and podcast.com. We would love to have ratings and comments. Those are always nice and helpful. Uh, if you give us a, leave us a, a rating, that, of course, helps other people find this show. And if you have seen Peninsula or Train to Busan or Soul Station or any of these films and have enjoyed them or didn't like them, we'd love to hear from you. We definitely love the interaction. Uh, Curtis gave out a phone number a while back. I don't think he's been called. I'm sure he feels very sad about this. None of you have called me. You're letting him down, people. You're letting Curtis down. It's just not nice. But we hope that you have enjoyed this. We certainly have because we love hanging out, watching movies, and talking to each other. We hope you enjoy listening to it. As always, thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Tim. And again, folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.